that you used and moved upon their heart to make this documentary. I pray your best for them, and I thank you for their courage and their character and their clarity in bringing forth uh, these truths. I pray, Lord, that you would allow me over the next few moments to speak with that same anointing and clarity that we might know, uh, see your word more clearly and receive it deep into our soul and understand what is the gospel and what was its purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to do three things this morning. Uh, shouldn't take too long, but I want to address what the gospel is and what it's for. I want to cover quickly the two points that I wasn't able to get to last week and then give you two from this week. The gospel message is the revelation of God's intentions and plans for the world before it was created. God creating man in his own image, God being a spirit, man being a spirit, spiritual being connecting at that level, but giving man free will knowing that man would choose wrong, he had a plan in place by sending one-third of the Trinity in the form of a man to become sin for us and pay for our sins because holiness would not allow him to just let something go. Justice, we, a society without justice crumbles. There has to be an accountability. And so Jesus coming in the form of sinless man, born of a virgin, sinless nature, bearing our sins upon the cross, redeeming us back unto himself for the purpose of his glory. The gospel is not about comfort. It's about cause. It's not about abundance. It's about stewardship. So when I tell you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that does not mean a mental assent and agreement that God exists somewhere. The devil believes that there is a God, but he is not free from sin, nor is he born again. It is a firm, reliant, exclusive trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for my sins, redeeming me, reconciling me back to God. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The American gospel today has polluted it and distorted it and perverted it in many ways, saying that this is the reason that God saved you. He saved you so that you can be healthy. Is God a healer? Yes. Does he heal everyone? No. He did not save me to heal me physically. He saved me for his glory, to bring me unto himself, to create a royal priesthood, a holy nation, to bring me out of darkness into his marvelous light. God is a provider, but he did not save me to provide for me. You hear uh, a lot, of, years ago especially, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides, the Lord my provider, which referred to houses, cars, and all of the other things. The revelation doesn't say that. The revelation says, Jehovah Jireh, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. That's what it means. And so in the mount of the Lord, when Abraham was about to offer up Isaac, which was a type of God offering his son, and God shouted from heaven, don't do it. I see that you love me that much that you would not withhold anything from me. And he saw a ram caught in the bushes. 
And in the mount of the Lord, the Lord provides the sacrifice. See, what we get, the provision, is Jesus. The prize is Jesus. The grace is Jesus. The glory is Jesus. There are blessings that flow from that relationship. But when you turn the Lord in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. God will provide a sacrifice and God will provide a house. You have diluted and polluted the gospel to where it brings it down on the smallest scale. It takes it from the grandest scandal of grace in the history of the world that God would save somebody like me to God wants me to have a new car. And you must know scripture to discern from these false and heretical teachings. Last week, and I'll only mention this very briefly, the, the, the heresy of God emptied himself completely. That Jesus was no different than me and you. If for one nanosecond, Jesus was not God. He was God, 100% God and 100% man, not 50-50. God humbled himself by taking upon himself the form of, of flesh, of the form of man. It's like he emptied himself by addition. He emptied himself by becoming a man. Because if God for one nanosecond does not stay God, then he is no longer qualified to be the substitute for my sins. He was all man. You remember the whole lesson. He emptied himself of all manhood. He was just like you and I. Well, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's standing on the mountain, and here appears two Old Testament figures that are supposed to be dead. Who was it? Elijah and Moses, I believe, right? So imagine if it was you, instead of James, John, and Peter. Imagine if it was Grief, Mike, and Jeff. And they're on the mountain with Jesus, and all of a sudden, he begins to be transfigured, which means... The best I can describe it, like a whirling of flesh and glory and flesh and glory. And here's two historical figures that they know to be Moses, who was the lawgiver, the one that led the Exodus, and Elijah, the one who never died. One a type of the Old Testament saint, uh, one a type of the New Testament saint, one the type of the rapture like Enoch and Elijah. And they're standing there and they said, uh, this is good that we're here. Let's build houses. And God says, everybody on the mountain, be quiet and listen to Jesus. Now, if he was all man, where was this transfiguration where he was shining like the sun? How could he say, if it's easier for me to say thy sins be forgiven thee or rise and take up your bed and walk. But just so there's no confusion that I can do both. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man got up and walked. Flesh can't forgive sins. Man can't forgive sins. Be careful just because it sounds right and they have a text or two to kind of force the square peg in the round hole it must follow the continuity of scripture and the context of the moment and he was fully God and fully man that's why my sins were fully paid for last week the second one the God has a wonderful plan for your life distortion God has a wonderful plan for your life I can hear it already in the quiet. Like, well, I hope he's got one. Well, we'll get there. 
uh, and for years I've heard my life verse. You've never heard uh, someone's life verse be, and Judas went and hung himself. <laughs> or go and do thou likewise. There's no like, life verses <laughs> like that. Listen to this. The primary verse used is a true applicable verse, but it's distorted. For I know the thoughts, the plans that I think and have towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. The distortion comes here. That since the plans are good, good. Our definition of good. Since the plans are good, then any experience or season that does not fit that description is to be rebuked, resisted, and to be changed by our confession. See, it's our idea of good and God's idea of good that brings the context of the scripture. His context of good is anything eternal. Anything that can be carried over to the next life. Any form of sacrifice or service or bringing honor to God that can be rewarded in the next life. We think good is comfort. God thinks good is cause. David killing Goliath. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? Is there not an opportunity here to give glory to God? Our idea of God having a wonderful plan is centered around me. God's idea of a wonderful plan is centered around him. Ours is based on pleasure. His is based on purpose. Ours is one that I choose, control, steer, and pursue. And the other, God's idea of a wonderful plan is one that he is sovereign over. Miles Monroe made this heretical statement. People ain't worried about no blood on no cross. They're worried about how they're going to make it through the day. God does have a wonderful plan for your life. And what makes it full of wonder is that he predestined and purposed our life in a way that would bring him the most glory. The disciples' wonderful life ended in martyrdom, except for John, who was exiled to Patmos. God had a wonderful plan for Stephen's life, which ended in stoning, stoned to death. But in that stoning, standing off to the side was a man named Saul of Tarsus, who would be so moved by this man's faith that he would be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and be granted salvation, called to be an apostle of the Gentiles, and wrote most of the New Testament. I know the plans I have for you, the Bible says, good plans. They may not be comfortable plans. They not, might not be a plan of long life. They might not be a plan of ease, but they will. It's like God, his plan is to wring our life out like a dish rag and get every ounce of glory so that in the age to come, we will be rewarded and known for the life given to him. David's wonderful plan included being hated and hunted by King Saul for eight years. Jacob's wonderful plan included the premature death of his bride, Rachel, which he worked 14 years to obtain in marriage. And the Bible said that his love for Rachel was so great that it seemed like just a few days. And it said, and on the way to Ephrata, Jacob buried Rachel. You know what Ephrata means in Hebrew? Fruitfulness. And on the way to being all he could ever be, he buried that which he could not live without. 
Joseph's wonderful plan included being sold by his brothers, falsely imprisoned and forgotten, only to be elevated in Egypt during a time of, of, of a continental famine. And he said, you meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it unto me for good that I might get ahead of you and save our family's lives. We look at life so narrow through this knot hole. We watch the parade go by and we can say, well, there's the Winnie the Pooh float. And there's Spongebob. And we can see the, the float as it goes by. And we pride ourselves in accurately describing what is going on right now. And say that this is not good, which equals God is not good. But God looks from heaven and sees the beginning of the parade to the end of the parade. And he said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans, good plans. That will bring you an expected hope. In the Amplified Bible, it says, at the end, at the end, the plans I have for you, at the end, the healing I have for you, at the end, the elevation, the vindication, the validation, the recognition, the intimacy, the forgiveness, the plans I have for you in context was given to Jerusalem while they were in the middle of captivity. And right before this life verse that everybody has, he said, now you're going to be there 70 more years. And he said, now, I want you to know the plans I have for you are good. Anybody else want to raise your hand and go, excuse me? <laughs> 70 more years, how does that play out to be good? Because at the end of the 70 the years, all this rebellion is going to be purged from you and you're going to call on me and you're going to find me and I'm going to answer you immediately and you're going to be my, I'm going to bring you in like family and we'll be close again. It's hard for us to grasp that although God enjoys blessing us, he is committed to changing us. Here's the amplified version of that verse. For I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil. To give you hope in your final outcome. Don't close your books until God does. Don't, don't, don't close your books today. Anybody owns their own business? Yeah, how y'all doing? Well, I got this much money outstanding. Who owns your own business in here? If these people would just <laughs> pay up, we'd be good. And you say, now in the final outcome, if things go like they're scheduled to go, we're good. God said, I want you to know in the last day that I've compensated for everything. And heaven is going to be joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is where the devil almost won in my life. My daddy got sick when I was nine, died when I was 11. The light of my mother's life, the love of my mother's life. And I, I know she would not mind me sharing this with you. Uh, way more than the children she suffered. There's a part of my mama that died that day that never came back. It's very hard to look and find mama any glory, any goodness that come from us living without him. 
And here while I was a little boy, man, I'm praying, I'm fasting. I'd heard of fasting. I'm not eating. I'm praying for my daddy to live and my daddy dies. And, um, you know, in, in my young mind, I'm thinking, this boy Ronnie up the street, his daddy's an alcoholic and beats him. And they walk around. They literally would put on their football helmets and hide in the corner. And his daddy is healthy and gets to live. And my, my daddy dies. And we all have those. See, the, de- the devil makes sure to highlight those things that we had, we never had, the things that were taken away, all those things. And said, look at what God allowed. Now, if I had it to do, go back, would you let your daddy live? Oh, absolutely. But I don't know all things. I will tell you this. For years I said I cannot point to one good thing that comes from it. Not one good thing. For my mom, for us as kids, nothing. But I can't say that anymore. Did you know, and this is just one that I can see. There is something inside of me that I don't care if they're three or 33. I don't want anybody not to have a daddy. If I can be the voice, if I can be the phone call or the encouragement, my life is not empty enough that I can do it all. But if I can help that need... Because I, I, I endured that. I want that desire to be a father was wrung out of me. If I can be a father at a distance, if I can be a father up close, it doesn't matter. So for today, the polluted gospel. Pollute means to contaminate with harmful or poisonous substances. To defile or corrupt, taint, to blight, to infect, to adulterate. To desecrate. The gospel has to be pure in how it's presented. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, not a truth. And I am the life, not a life. It not only has to be declared perfectly, it has to be understood perfectly according to his purpose. I was redeemed that I might bring pleasure and glory to God. This pollution of the gospel happens when anything foreign, contrary, or in opposition to it brings any change whatsoever to the gospel itself. How many of you have heard of, and it's been around for probably since the 70s, the ecumenical movement? Sounds wonderful. All us religions need to come together. Christians started out Christians. All the Christian churches, we, we all, if we all love Jesus, we're on the same team. All the Christian churches come together. And here's what the ecumenical movement means. All-embracive, all all-inclusive, non-sectarian, universal promotion of unity among all the world's Christian movement. The promotion of unity among the world's Christian movement. Here's the problems. First, the word Christian. What is Christian. Today, it has many different meanings. The Bible speaks of of preaching of a different Jesus, producing a different spirit, preaching a different gospel. And now this ecumenical movement also includes other religions. You see the little commercial? We got me holding the cross, you holding your little Buddha, another one holding beads, and another one holding a coexist. And we're all just God's family. No, we're all God's creation. We're not all God's family. 
Let me tell you what we all have in common. Here's part of the gospel. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's the world. The world behind us and the world ahead of us. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is separate. Their sin has separated them from God. They are dead in their trespasses and sin. That's what we all have in common. The issue then is, does the world deceive people through false ministers into a pursuit of religion, a pursuit of salvation, or the gospel that pushes you to an awareness of your absolute helplessness to do anything? Religion says, come and change. The gospel says, you're doomed. You're damned. If I'm dead in my trespasses and sin, what can a dead man do to help himself? My spirit man that communicates with God is dead. My soul knows it's dead. That's why I try to fill my life and tried to fill my life with drugs and alcohol and sex and perversion and all these things because of the vacuum. And that's how a person can be saved. When God graces them with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, their spirit is dead and their soul knows that God is opening a door, a door of opportunity that they could be brought back to life and their soul cries out, Have mercy on me, O God. Not a pursuit of, I can't pursue. I'm in a casket. I can't change toward. It must be born again. Regeneration. I'll break it down simple. What part did you play in your first birth? (laughs) How much effort did you? (laughs) Well, I was there, you know. And the second birth, it's not a perfect example, but it is the same. Do you remember when blind Bartimaeus, he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was in town. Just heard. And he'd heard the stories about how he healed the lame and the deaf and the blind, and, and he walked on water and all of these things. So here he is. He don't know, and I'm, I'm not trying to make light of blindness. He doesn't know left, right, east, west, except for maybe the sun, learning where that is. So he's just wherever he is. And he just heard that Jesus was passing by. And he screamed out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples told him, shh. He said, you, you, you ain't blind. Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus came to where he was and said, what do you want me to do for you? Now watch. The impossible thing. I want you to open my eyes. And Jesus opened his eyes. And the first person he ever saw was Christ the Lord. Do you see the type? Jesus, have mercy on me. There's nothing I can do. Going to church isn't going to help. Shaking John's hand, having some priest do something. None of that helps. I'm dead. Bring me back to life. And he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous life. He raises us. He quickens us to new life. And we realize that we are born again, not by works, but by a supernatural act of God. So that's the gospel. But we also have to know the purpose of the gospel. He did not do that 
to see how, I, how high I could climb the ladder. He did that to see how low would I descend into greatness. Greatness kneels. Greatness serves. Greatness gives. Greatness pours out its life unto others. Greatness invests in others instead of spending its life upon itself. That's the purpose of the gospel. To bring many sons unto glory so that they can bring glory to the Father. We are all God's children. No. Can you imagine the absurdity of relativism? You've heard me speak of this before. This is one of the pollutions. That truth is relative. Any of your friends, especially the younger generation. Man, y'all got it bad. I'm sorry. We didn't have it like y'all have it. We didn't have it in school. Some of y'all my age, I'm sorry, you're in the dark about this. Well, school is just as hard as we are. Are you crazy? They're doing in third grade what we did in high school. I remember in high school, I remember you couldn't take typing till your senior year. You can't just put a typewriter in the hands of anybody. They got to have some maturity, you know, my ASDFJKL semi. You can't just give anybody that. I'm dead serious. At Central, you could not take typing until your senior year. Now, little kid, three years old, give me the iPad. And you're like, I can't, I can't figure it out. Baby can't even walk. Got a plastic diaper full of poo. Give me that, daddy. I'll fix it for you. Wait a minute. What you got? You got your, your H-T-I-P-C-T-T-S right here. That's locked up. Hold on. Hold on. Give me just a minute. Hold on. There you go. My kid, I can't help you with homework. What grade you in first? No, you lost me. I, I had you up to kindergarten. I got you back with the colors and the math. Okay, so all relativism, relativism. I'm back to relativism. Everything's truth. All, all is truth. Have you heard this statement? What is your truth? That's my truth. May I bring a new insight into the absurdity of that which I have not shared with you heretofore. That's King James. All right. All truth is relative. Can you imagine the absurdity of this in medicine? How many nurses, doctors? Hold your hand up high. All medicinal practices are relative. That's not my truth. What they need is an antibiotic. No, no. What they need is rest. This one got staff. We need to treat the staff. No, no. My truth is they need those old people shakes. Their milkshakes. Do you see the absurdity of all truth is relative in medicine? How about in law? Law enforcement. This man pulls a gun on you. Well, do I have the right to pull? Well, my truth says I can't fire back. You're a dead man. All truth is relative. In accounting. You do understand you can just write it as you go along. <laughs> Baby, how we doing? We good. Ain't got no money. We fine. Do you see how absurd it is? 
So for all roads to lead to God, how absurd that that's my truth. There's only one truth, the truth, the person of Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls. I don't know how to tell it any clearer. Pollution happens when you add or take away from the pure gospel. Cults like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Worldwide Church of God, the Emergent Church, Manifest Sons of God, Seventh-day Adventists, uh, NAR, all of these things. You've got to know the gospel to understand uh, the pollutants found in it today. Tommy, if you'd come, please. Y'all, we went from 31 degrees to 131, but that's the way it works in this house. So keep you guessing, baby. Keep you guessing. That's why you'll see a lady come in in the summer, have on a little sleeveless thing, and dragging a king-size quilt right behind her. <laughs> you go to Christ Chapel, don't you? Yeah, that's what, that's just what now it answers some of y'all questions. John preaches in suit, and by the time I see him in the parking lot, he doesn't change. I done sweat through all my clothes, baby. That's why, that's why you see the change. I have several of you. I got five minutes. So, kind of halfway upset with me, disappointed. No attacks because I said something about your preacher or your teacher that brings in heresies that will damn your soul. You need to understand that once someone preaches heresy, that doesn't mean that everything that's ever come out of their mouth was heresy. It just means that they housed that. And that thread will be woven through everything that they preach and teach. If it's in there, it's part of it. My responsibility as your shepherd is to guard you. I'm not to control you. I'm not telling you who to listen to, what to listen to, where to go, where not to go, where to work, who to date. I'm pointing you and I'm, I'm taking care as an under-shepherd. In a stewardship that I'll give an account for. And if I'm faithful, I will receive a shepherd's crown in that day. I've had Catholics write me. Had some come to my face and very gently say how much I hurt them in the service. And I said, I'm very, very sorry. But it's still the truth. Catholicism is not Christianity. In my opinion, it is the worst of the false religions. Are you saying there are no Christians in the Catholic Church? Absolutely not. But Catholicism in and of itself is so polluted that we call the mother of Jesus sinless. We call the mother of Jesus the co-mediator of the covenant. We pray to her. We have 15 promises of a rosary bead that she, as the queen of heaven, will make sure to do in our life. We have a pope in this church 
whose words, are, I'm telling you their doctrines, look everything I'm saying up on their page. His words are equivalent to and can superimpose upon the word of God. He is God's vicar, God's voice in the earth. We have in that religion, and I'm just giving you one of many because it's the most popular global religion. That a priest baptizes a baby, uh, christens it, it as an infant with water. And we teach that it removes that child from original sin. They're saved. The preacher did it. Not, not the slain lamb, but the preacher did it. And that same man is infallible. That same man will allow people to kneel before him and kiss his ring and his feet. That same man the same man allows a form of worship towards him. When a world that hates God hates God when all the major media networks that hate Christianity will cover a man and his tour through the United States all day on their major networks. You know, you know how much that cost that they would lose in revenue? And they call him Holy Father. And the Bible says, call no man father upon the earth, spiritually speaking. The priest, I have to go to them to find forgiveness for my sins. And I confess to them. And then they tell me penance to do, which helps pay for my sins. That it is finished was not enough. We got to do penance. And then there's indulgences. And then there's praying to dead saints. Asking for them to pray to God for us. As if the mediator, Jesus Christ, was not enough. Not always. I say that not to make you mad, but to let you know that if it is not truth, it is error. And if it is error, it will destroy you. Don't take my word for anything. The word of God, the word of God, the word of God. Not just receive it, love it, stand for it, cling tight to it. I judge no man's heart, but I can sure judge their words. And heresy is heresy and blasphemy is blasphemy. And what is offered today is a distorted polluted, perverted gospel that makes man the center and not Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of man. So the goal of the gospel is not to build me up, but it's to build him up and bring glory unto him. It's a narrow pathway. That's why the Bible says, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be going there. Narrow is the way that leadeth to life. And few there be that find it. Now before I close in prayer. I know that I'm just a man. What if I'm wrong? Then I'm as big a fool as ever lived. But if I'm right. The world is wrong. And for the Bible to tell me that broad is the way that is destruction. Do you know there's a scripture in the Old Testament that said hell is enlarging itself to take in all of the people. 
So now I'm going to speak to you. Do you believe the gospel and not share it? Do you suppress the truth not for fear of what someone might think or say? The gospel is offensive because it brings people aware, brings awareness of their sins. But if you speak the truth in love and show them that they're, we have to know what we are before we can call out to a God to change us from that. My fear is that you would go into heaven as one that believed the gospel and kept it for yourself. I must know it. I must know it clearly. I must be able to communicate it accurately and in love. I remember going to church, hearing a guy preach on hell, and I get in the car, and I said, I think he wants me to go there. I really do. (laughs) He believes the right things, but I think he's hoping I go. That's not the other way either. I hope you enjoyed this series. I believe we were in God's timing with it. Uh, Some of us need to go home and work it out a plan to where without cliff notes, we can sit down with a friend and say, let me explain the gospel of Jesus Christ, why it was necessary for a sinless birth, why he had to be the Lamb of God, why he had to be resurrected, why the other religions are false. And I'll close with this. Every religion on the face of the earth is a pursuit toward salvation. Christianity proceeds from salvation. Every other, find one that doesn't. It's a pursuit, it's a walk, it's an earning, it's a, it's a mixture. But you have to do this and you have to abstain and you have to uh, self-discipline and hurt yourself and deny yourself and all of this and obtain and people praying and working and priest and absolution of sins and all of this. And Christianity is... Christ crying naked from a cross. It is finished. So, today I want to tell you, along with yourself, I was saved. I am saved. And I'm being saved. And I am kept by the power of of God through faith. John Wood, how do you plead? Guilty on every account. Do you have anything to say for yourself? No, sir, dead people can't talk. Jesus walks up and said, Father, this is John. I died for him and his sins. Is that true, John? Do you want to add anything to what Jesus did? So no going to church, no being a preacher. That would taint the lamb, sir. And the lamb was accepted. Well, John, if that's the case, your sins are forgiven. And then people that knew me say, people that knew me say, he gets to go free? I love it when my high school and college friends will visit and they'll go, you're a preacher? Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Isn't that y'all stand with me? Isn't that crazy? Just bow your heads with me this morning.
I'm not asking you, to be, do you believe? I'm asking you, do you firmly rely and have an exclusive trust into the work of Christ for you on the cross? And are you submitted to his lordship? And if you're not from where you stand, you can say, Lord, I surrender. Save me. To that young girl or young guy here, you can say, take me back, Father. And immediately, life surges back into you. Rebellion takes a while. Restoration takes one moment. And God, by your spirit, I pray that you restore and heal. Let the stories come back when the son goes to his daddy and the girl goes to their mom and the parent goes to the child and says, you know that Sunday the other day? I prayed, and it is well with my soul. Christ is sufficient. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Next week is Mother's Day. Y'all take care of your mamas. Listen, hey, God will get you. You got to be good to your mama. Take them somewhere nice. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Thank you, Tom.